Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of ZoomUs, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcast, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature, the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom, there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet, I sit in my car and upload, post, and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really, really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that, big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. This next guest is Sue Wozni. Uh, We are going to discuss today anxiety. She has a master's in psychology, but is not a practicing uh, psychologist or counselor. She is serving as a consultant with organizational issues. And she has some things that she can offer us today. Let's begin by understanding what anxiety is and how it works and what someone can do if they are seeing signs or symptoms within themselves. We know that anxiety is a very big topic and can be often confusing to understand. And our goal in this conversation is to present a framework where we as the listener will be able to understand a little bit more about anxiety. And if you are young, if you are a teenager or a younger, an adolescent, we want to offer you some of the things that can help you, help you understand and, and begin to have a new perspective. So thank you, Sue, for coming on today. Um, and it is, it is just great to have you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. What is anxiety? Anxiety actually lives in the, in the fight or flight response. So um, we all have the fight or flight response. It's part of the more primitive part of our brain and it serves a purpose to keep us safe. That's basically what it's there for. And so what happens is whenever we experience challenge and it could be a physical challenge, an emotional challenge or a verbal challenge, the brain doesn't differentiate between those three and the protection mechanism fires up and gets us ready for either running away from the problem or engaging and conquering the problem. We've been largely socialized out of going with our fight or flight response, but it's, it's there. We can't not do it. But once we know that how to recognize it, there are actually some tips and tools that you can use to, ma- to minimize or manage that, that 
anxiety response. Everybody worries, right? You know, you think about your kids and, oh, I wonder, you know, if he's doing okay or, you know, my little grandson had a cold. I wonder if he's all right. And that's normal and natural. When worry becomes pervasive, when it becomes to the point where it interferes with our ability to function in terms of our job, our life, our family, our friends, our work, our play, then that's when we start to see people sort of getting a bit rocky and getting off, going a bit off the rails. This flight, flight or flight, it's a response. So if I'm walking down a back alley, uh, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to feel some readiness inside of me, correct? Yes, you're going to be on alert. I'm going to be on alert. And my body is going to be ready for a, a level of action. Yeah, and there's hormones that get, that get released into our bloodstream when we get either anxious or angry. So we get adrenaline, which is that metabolism booster. That's why your heart starts to pound and race. Noradrenaline, which is another metabolism booster. Testosterone, male hormone, which makes us stronger. And cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And that's, that's the dangerous one. That's the one we walk around with too much of us too much of it in our, our systems. It often, I think it's been linked to a number of autoimmune diseases and um, just, just, it's just not a healthy way to be. So we all tend to kind of walk around with way too much of it there. Um, you know, you're talking about young people. And if you think back to when you and I were kids, we played outside. We, we played stick hockey. We, we built sandcastles, that kind of thing. Kids nowadays are, are so bombarded by stimuli, right? They, used to be you wait for a letter from your grandma for your birthday and it would take a week or two depending on where she lived now it's instantaneous i can type into my computer and i can talk to my mom or talk to my sister yeah and so i think we we do kids a disservice because we we allow them to have those those stimuli babysitters as opposed to, and we don't really teach them how to cope we sort of say here watch this cartoon right which makes it easier for the parents or the caregivers in the moment. But if you look at some of the games that are out there for, for young kids or even t- uh, tweens and teens, um, they're sort of immune to violence. And so, you know, that's got to interfere. It's got to create some neural pathways about the danger in the world. So we're kind of creating it, I think, a little bit mm. too. Well, and, and so when you talk about the fight or flight response, it's almost like, you know, when you, if you've ever played a video game, you have that, like, that nervousness or there's that, like, level of, I gotta, I gotta get that or your, your, I would say your stressors are, are heightened. And if that's the case, is there a way that the cortisol just, it, it, it kind of keeps getting higher? Like, you, you're, you become less, um, you're immune to the stress of just playing this intense video game. So then the stressors in your life, when they do happen, you're kind of numb to it. Is there anything with that? Yeah, there, I mean, there certainly is. We, um, we get acclimatized to how we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And some people are even just a little addicted to adrenaline, right? They like the rush. They like to have that, that stimulus all the time. Um, And so, the challenge is, is that, you know, if, if it's uncontrolled or a lot, I find a lot of people who we would consider to be empathic or sensitive often tend to carry borrow the weight of the world and keep it on their shoulders. And so, you know, there's some tips and tricks that they can learn around thought stopping, like changing your self-talk. That's a huge one for me. I teach that a lot in the work that I do. 
and looking at um, your spheres of influence and control. So if you think about three circles, one inside the other, the inner circle, which is usually the biggest one, is your ability to control and influence irrespective of anybody else. So it's everything that you decide to do on your own. So that's your center of control. There's a middle circle that is more um, things, places and events and people that I have influence over, but I ultimately can't control. So I may be able to influence some policies and procedures in my workplace or um, give somebody some advice on how to deal with a, a difficult staff member. And then there's the outer circle, which is the stuff I have no control over and I have no influence over, like like the weather. I can't make it rain or stop raining. It's just above my pay grade. Um, so but a lot of times people who are in that anxiety state live in that outer zone where they constantly think about things that they have no control over, but they become obsessed with them. A lot of times when I go into an organization that's undergoing a significant organizational change, there's a ton of stress and anxiety. And my challenge is, is to get them out of that, out of control place and ask them, well, how do we mitigate the impacts of this? So when we can draw people towards the center of their control, the anxiety significantly lessens. So it's about reframing the thought process and helping sometimes I, I do it as you know, an external consultant, but teaching people how to recognize when their thoughts are, are getting a hand or they're taking over so that you could say, okay, do I have any control over this? No. Well, what can I do to maximize the impact or minimize the impact depending on what it is? So if I'm going for a ride in my car, and you know the Vancouver weather, we could have rain in the morning and sunshine at night or a- afternoon. And so I have my sunglasses in my car and I have an umbrella in my car. So I can at least attend to my comfort regardless of what the weather's doing. So finding ways to stay in control and feel in control really helps to minimize anxiety. So can we talk about um, symptoms of what you're talking about? So um, is it different for an elementary student than at high school than an adult or are the symptoms for anxiety or worry or panic the same across the board? Pretty much the same because it, it, is, a, it is a biological reaction. I mean, it, you're going into fight or flight. So regardless of whether or not you're five years old or you're 15 or you're 25, you know, if you're, if you're having an anxiety attack, then you're going to have heart palpitations. You're probably going to feel a little bit clammy. Okay. Um, you'll start to notice that you're, uh, you're hyperventilating. You're starting to breathe rapidly and shallowly. Um, you might feel sensation in your skin where your skin feels prickly or it's like the, mm-hmm. you know, the hair stands up on the back of your neck kind of thing. Um, you might find that you get indigestion because our, our digestion system shuts down when we're in a stressful situation. Um, there's also a phenomenon in uh, fight or flight where the blood actually circulates differently. We have a self-transfusion that happens. So the blood goes more readily because it's the oxygen for the cells, for the muscles, goes more readily to the movement muscles because they need to be energized for fight or flight, which means we don't have as much going up into our prefrontal cortex. This is the executive function part of our brain. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where curiosity lives. That's where reasoning lives and practicality. And so when we kind of have our, our, our senses offline a little bit, then often the part of our brain that takes over is that much more primitive part. And, um, there's actually a term in psychology called amygdala hijacking. The amygdala is like the emotional gatekeeper in the brain and its job is to assess threat. And if it takes over before I can keep my executive functioning in place, then I'm spinning off into fight or flight. 
Now, the good news is, is once you recognize that you're in fight or flight, you can actually, you can stop, turn it around and walk yourself back down to a more um, stable place. But it takes self-awareness and it takes self-management. There might be a young child out there who's maybe when they're at home, their their parent has mental illness or is, um, you know, stressed from work or whatever and is showing um, a different, um, more uncomfortable atmosphere at home. That child might feel a fight or flight response, heightened awareness, heightened sense, walking on eggshells. Oh, and yeah. then they go to school and they don't know how to step that down or walk that back. And then what happens is their peers go, why are you so crazy all the time? Or, you know, there's, there's this reaction and reactionary thing that happens with young, young men and women. Really, it's a result of always being on. Like that cortisol and that stress is always being at the front. Could you give someone, if they were in that situation, a tip on how to walk that back? Teach that little person how to breathe. That, that is conscious breathing. Take a nice deep breath in. Hold it for a few seconds. Don't blow it out like you're blowing out through a straw. Get as much out as you possibly can. Because the oxygen actually binds with adrenaline. And as we exhale, we lower our adrenaline levels. So we teach kids how to cope by using breathing techniques, by paying attention to what they're saying to themselves, um, getting them to be more active, right? Go walk it off. Let's take a walk around the building. Um, teaching them to be more verbal, to not um, stuff their emotions inside, but to have a safe place to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they don't have that at home, so how do we hook them up with somebody like a teacher, a trusted teacher, or uh, maybe a close relative who can help them with that. Well, and sometimes it's not until you graduate, mm-hmm. right? Like it's sometimes it's it, realistically, it's not until you graduate where you kind of go, okay, uh, now patterns have set in. Now there's a whole other level of expectation, a whole other level of unknown for me. Mm-hmm. This is what how I was raised. This is what I've begun to believe is my story, the narrative that we tell ourselves. And now how do I function in that world? And so then anxiety becomes the mode of operation. Um, can we talk about the difference of um, in that state, the difference of anxiety and the difference of worry. Like, what does it do in the body? Well, worry is just, it's, a, it's more transient. It's usually situational. So it's like, ooh, I've got a big test coming up um, this week and I, I don't feel like I've studied enough. Or you have those, those worry dreams where, you know, I'm sure you've had that one where you go back to high school and you can't remember your locker combination. And that, that's an anxiety dream, right? Uh, anxiety is more pervasive. It's more persistent. It's more of a, it's a patterning of thoughts, which triggers the emotional patterns as well. And so people who are chronically anxious benefit from cognitive behavioral therapy, which teaches you how to restructure your thought process, um, learning uh, coping exercises. There's one I really like that, um, that I've taught to people and it's just called, uh, five, four, three, two, one. So when you find yourself in that state where you need to ground yourself, you acknowledge five things you can see around you and you name them either in your head or outside your mouth. You acknowledge four things you can touch. So using your five senses here, three things you hear, there's a bird, there's a plane going by, there's a car outside, two things you can smell, 
And one thing that you can taste. So you're using, you're engaging all five senses to ground yourself back to an anchoring place. So that's a really good technique to give little kids because, you know, they can do that. You go, let's do five, four, three, two, one. And, you know, it's almost like a little game that they can play. And it gets them out of their heads into a concrete world. And into their body? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Using their senses, so not into the body where they're still in that story of you know whatever the anxiety is, but their their senses, their five senses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that they're getting out of their worrisome heads. Um, Self talk is another uh, strategy that I teach well to, to largely adults because that's mostly who I work with, but with with younger people as well. To find the volume button on your head and inside your head and turn it up because you're talking to yourself all day long. Um, Dr. Phil says that we think about 1,500 words a minute. We speak 125. So I can tell myself the same story 10,000 times after just hearing it once. And if I keep that narrative going, that just becomes the neural pathways start to start to form. And then that becomes part of my, my, uh, my paradigm. Right, because so... I've, I've read, and, and I, we, we talked about this briefly, but I, and I was going to ask you to speak to this because, you know, anxiety, I've read, it is primarily fear. It's about fear. So um, some things I wrote down would be fear of the world, fear of being lovable, mm-hmm. um, alone, fear of being alone, fear of what will happen next, or fear of the unknown. Um, how that person's going to react or what's going to happen when you know that there is no control about what's going to happen in a year from now or even in the next 10 minutes. So because of that, if you're, if you're living in a, out of an experience that happened that maybe reinforced something, then it, does it become a toxic, like a, could you say it when it's a feedback loop like that or it's cycling, is it a toxic pattern that can send you into the depths of despair and just kind of go, oh, well, you start to tell that story. Like, let me give an example, you and me right now. So I'm reading your facial expressions. I can see you interacting with me. But when I leave this call with you, and I say, goodbye, Sue. It was great. Thanks. And you go, see you. Oh, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, what was, what was that? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I got to go back into the interview. Did I say something? What did I do? It could be simple as that where you just go, see you. And I'm like, oh, she didn't have that enthusiastic response that I needed to reinforce that I belong and that it was okay. Exactly. Then I begin to cycle through. Okay, so does she like me? What did I do? What did I say? This, we begin to tell ourselves this little story. That is, you've just described what we, what we call in psychology a fundamental attribution error, F-A-E. A fundamental attribution error. Yes. Okay. So you saw me go in your scenario. Mm, yeah, bye. Right. So everybody who's watching this program saw me do that. Right. So it's public. You heard me. You saw me. Now, the impact that that had, the intent that I had in in getting off the call that way, you don't know why I did it. I just did it. So it's private. The intent is private. The impact it had on you, unless you share it with your 
your audience, we don't know how it landed for you. We all have what we call perceptual filters. So if you think about, you know, if you took all the window screens off your house that keep the bugs out in the summertime and you stack them in front of each other, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 of them, we take in information to our five senses and we filter that information. So your filters are things like your family of origin messages around, around conflict and fear and anxiety or, you know, just however you grew up in your family of origin. Um, your religious upbringings, any religious tenets that you were raised with, your, your ethnicity, your cultural background, so what cultural aspects are at play there. It could be your life experiences, your job experiences, your educational levels. And so what we do is we see something or hear something, and a fundamental attribution error works that in, if I feel that you negatively impacted me or I felt negatively impacted, I will automatically at least question, if not assume, that you meant something by that. It's a huge source of my work, uh, going in and helping people who can't look at each other, let alone speak to each other, and they've seen something or heard something, created a story, the story becomes their truth, and now it's all about that person. So if you and I have had past dealings with each other where we haven't resolved it very well, then I start to look for ways that you're out to get me, that you're, you're out to throw me under the bus or make me look bad. And I hear it all the time. I just, I know he wants my job. I can tell he's trying to throw me under the bus. And when I say, how do you know that? They go, I can tell. So it's like, oh, clairvoyance, pretty cool. <laughs> I, <had that. laughs> I wish we all had that. <laughs> so just, you know, just doing some fact checking and saying, okay, is this really what's going on here? And I always say, don't act like you know what the person meant. Act like you don't know. Go check it out. I can guarantee you that rather than sitting there for two weeks, worrying about, you know, they're mad at me or I said something wrong, you can go and clear it up and say, oh, no, I was just I was just in a rush. I just needed to get going because I had an appointment. So I said goodbye quickly. And then you've reset the memory. So now you don't have to worry about it. But a lot of times we replay things over and over and over without checking it out. We go and we make it worse. And then, you know, it starts to impact our ability to be successful, to have authentic friendships or relationships. And uh, it just causes a significant personal stress. Well, and, and the goal is to keep coming back into alignment in yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're telling yourself a story and you're going off of a narrative that says, I'm not lovable, well then whatever's coming towards you during the day is just reinforcing that belief about yourself. I'm not lovable. So he's, that person's out to take my job because I have no value here in this position. Or, you know, um, why would you like to be my friend? I'm super lonely, but I'm unlovable. So yeah, right. It's, it's like these, these small little whispers that ingrain themselves. Can you talk to us about how do we get to the bottom of the why? You and I talked about this when we were um, mm-hmm. on, in the green room call and we said, you know, it's really about exploring why and getting down into those deep places where you've experienced the, maybe the very first time, um, you know, where you had to move into a flight or flight or fight or flight and talking about that experience and then reframing it. Can you help us or give us suggestions as to how to do that? 
Well, sometimes, uh, you know, a good psychic dusting and cleaning really works. <laughs> psychic dusting and cleaning. <laughs> you know, there, um, I know that counseling and mental health has stigma around it. But, you know, all of us that work in a, in a business where we're, we're having to be so open and empathic with people. Yeah, we all we have to get the tune up every once in a while just to kind of keep us from from getting toxic. Um, you know, asking yourself, is is this really what I think it is? What is this really? Because in, in our business, we say that all behavior makes sense. So why I'm doing what I'm doing is making sense to me on some level, even if you can't understand it. And very often resistance, when somebody's digging their heels in or complaining or protesting, it's an, there's an unmet need. And sometimes that need is, I need to look competent. I need to be liked. I need to um, not be shown up by people who are younger and smarter and faster at computer programs than I am, kind of thing. And so if we can kind of get to what the, what, what's that root cause? Where's this coming from? Now, it could be something that happened in your childhood, your family of origin. Um, I had a time in my life, just probably about 20 years ago now, where it would really, really offend me and bother me if somebody said I was overreacting or being too sensitive. And so I had to really... <laughs> I put my hand up because that's, that's me. <laughs> well, so I, you know, I, I did some personal growth work on that mm-hmm. and realized that when I was growing up as a, as a young child, I was third of four girls. And my second oldest sister was six feet tall by the time she was 11. And I was a bit of a runt. So she would tease me and bully me. And I would go to my parents and say, she's picking on me. And because they were tired and distracted and working full time, oh, stop being so sensitive. And I just felt unprotected. I felt unsafe. I felt unacknowledged. And so that became a hot button for me until I figured out where it came from. So yeah, some personal work, just looking at that stuff, giving kids the tools to be able to use their words. So a lot of times we see either anxiety or, or some sort of angst. There's kind of two ways that people deal with it. You know, the anxiety turned inward tends to be more self-destructive behaviors. Um, we use coping mechanisms like numbing ourselves out with, with you know, drugs or alcohol or, or fat or sugar or whatever. Uh, the anxiety turned outward often looks quite explosive or somebody's got a hair trigger and they, they, they're overreactive to things. So we have to find that center line to say, you know, it's okay to be worried. That's a normal emotion. It's actually, it's a warning sign. When we feel anxious, it means something's not working. Well, and we talked about this and I, I guess this is the best segue into that because I, I, you know that I, I believe that the emotion that we are experiencing in the time is a way of the body saying, I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I, I need to say something to you. And the conversation is about stepping in to the emotion and listening and saying, what is my body and the emotion trying to tell me? Can we talk about the role specifically today of the anxiety as it comes up in the body? It's the body's way of saying what to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a messenger, right? It's, it's, messenger. it's telling us that there's something we need to pay attention to. Yep. A lot of times though, because it's unpleasant, it feels horrid. And so yeah. we push it away. It's like, well, I'm just going to distract myself by watching YouTube videos, or I'm going to go right. shopping, or I'm going to um, dive into my work and not raise my head up for an hour and a half kind of thing. Right. So we all, have our, we all develop our coping skills. Some of them are healthy and good, and there's other ones that are less, uh, less productive for us. So sure. looking, having, again, it goes back to that self-awareness, you know, what, what do I know about myself and how I generally cope? You know, in my family, I was the 
there was a lot of angst in my in my parents' marriage. And um, my job was to be the, the caretaker and the class clown. And I remember we, we showed horses. That was our family activity that we did, which was probably really expensive. And I'm sure it put some stress on my mom and dad's lives. But And I would always drive. We'd go on a Friday night to a horse show circuit. And I don't know why, but I, I always thought that my job was to keep my eye on the rearview mirror and make sure that the horse trailer didn't fall off. <laughs> nothing, nothing reasonable about that. But I, I, I had to watch to make sure that the horses were still with us. So, and you remember this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it was yesterday. <laughs> and, and was there anything in your mind? Like, well, what if they don't hook it up right? Or what, as you've lived now and know what you know, can you dive into that for a minute so that someone can, you can walk them through your process of going, well, what, what logic is there in that? What do you see now looking back in hindsight? Well, an interesting thing too is like anxiety and worry don't necessarily live in a logical place. No. If they did, we wouldn't have them quite as much and we'd be able to manage them. Um, for me, I think going through that, I was a worrier as a kid because my parents were on the brink of divorce off and on. Um, we lived a very hectic lifestyle. And um, both my parents worked full time. So um, we were often in the summertime home a lot by ourselves. And I, I grew up with a very healthy fear of conflict, which is odd because now I'm a mediator and I go into places where there's bullying and harassment happening. Um, and so I think it was probably that I needed to create order where I felt chaos. Wow. And one of the things I could do was to ensure that, that those ponies were coming with us and that. Um, you know, the, uh, it's weird, but that was my little piece of control in that situation. Interesting. Interesting. And, and there are rituals, right? And isn't it amazing that, that the story that you told yourself, right? That this was where, this is the place that you are responsible for. Yeah. Right? I gave myself a lot of responsibility as a kid that I never had any ownership of. So, but, and, and the kids are, kids are amazing at being able to, see how they've they're at fault how they've caused things and so sometimes we have to fine-tune into the kids to say this that's a grown-up problem you, you don't have any control over that you don't need to be concerned and what can I do to help you to let that go what about our reactions so how do we begin to talk to us about how to um identify when you are actually moving into anxiety. Okay. So what's going to happen? You already said you're, you're going to feel it in your body. Things are going to start happening. Okay. So now the self-talk would be, okay, so I'm feeling anxiety. Walk us through that. What am I anxious about? What, what's worrying me right now? Okay. And I pinpoint one or two things, or is it just I'm overwhelmed today. Um, I kind of, I rate my days in terms of two types of days. There's days when I'm wearing my, my Teflon suit (laughs) and I've got nothing sticking to me. I can go handle anything and anyone and I'm great. Then there's other days when I've got the Velcro suit on and the sticky sides out (laughs) and everything lands and I weigh a thousand pounds emotionally when I go home. So the first thing I do is I, is a gut check. Is it a Velcro day? Is it a Teflon day? And maybe if, it's, if I feel like it's more of a Velcro day, I might say, I'm going to sleep on this one and see what happens. 
And then if it's still bugging me, well, there's my clue that I need to go and address that with whoever or whatever kind of thing. So always doing that sort of checking with yourself around, is this, is this reasonable? Does this require this much energy? Another thing I tell myself with my anxiety or my angst, um, you're in my head and you're not paying rent. Get out. I, <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. And it works too. It's like, okay, I, don't, I, I could sit here and be worried and make myself all anxious and you know, get, put my stomach in a knot or I could go find something better to do. Now I was wrote an email the other day and my assistant's sitting there and I received a response and I kind of, I kind of stepped back a second and she said, well, what, are you okay? And I said, well, I just don't know how to read this email. And it was just sort of like, I wrote this great email. I have to say so myself. Of course, of course Sue. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. <laughs> but the response was just really brief and, and it wasn't, you know, it was confirming. It was, yes, I, this is exactly what I was thinking too. Great. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know. And I, I thought to myself, what did I do? Okay. Let me go back. Maybe I need to. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And our, our anxiety and our fear is right there all the time when someone doesn't even mean it. So how do you give someone a solution based on that? Well, you know, one, I have a, I have a two email rule in my, my business. So if I send you an email and I get one back from you and then I have to send another one and you send me one, then it's time for a phone call because we're, we're clearly not solving it after four emails. So a five minute phone call will probably get that up and out of my head and off my plate so I can move on to something else. As opposed to waiting, going, oh, I wonder if Lori's going to call me back. I wonder if she's going to send me an email. What, what did I say in that email, though, that maybe wasn't very good? And it's, to me, it's like sitting in a rocking chair. You're moving, but you're not going anywhere. So get up and move. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, now give yourself permission to reframe it. That, and I think that's what you just said to, right now. You said, well, I give myself a two-email rule. Mm-hmm. Oh, we maybe could give ourselves permission to step out of the story that is happening in our mind and take a little bit of action. Yeah, that's, that's how we keep ourselves from going absolutely mad because if I just sit in my head and spin, um, I'm not solving the problem. I'm not addressing anything. I'm just winding myself up and doing it all on my own. The other person doesn't even realize. Right, and they might, not, they might be living a happy, glorious moment because they didn't even think about it. Yeah, exactly. They were, they were saying yes with a period and it was really like, yes, I needed an exclamation mark. And you're like, you gave me a period. You didn't give me the exclamation mark. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> well, and unmet expectations too will create anxieties, right? Because we can't figure that people should know what we need or what we're looking for. And if, but then we don't tell them. So it's like, okay, I need you to be clairvoyant and just, just know that I need you to reach out to me. Well, how would you know if I didn't actually explicitly let you know that, hey, I'd appreciate a phone call today. I'm, I'm kind of struggling. Getting to the bottom of the why is really important in our lives. Getting to the bottom of why you might feel anxiety. Leaning into it and asking ourselves, what is it here? What is it saying to us? Yeah, and you know, just it, sometimes you can't quite put your finger on it because it might be just generalized anxiety. You okay. Know, this time of year, you know, I have a couple of friends that just dread Christmas. 
And it's just, you know, the, the pressure that we put on ourselves to get the perfect gift and to have the right meal and, you know, making sure Aunt Edna gets to, you know, the place that we're having supper kind of thing. And, and so, you know, some people just choose to just ignore and just pretend it doesn't happen. Other people go way overboard, spending all money that they don't have yeah. um, and create even more stress for themselves. So, um, you know, sort of looking at do, how much control do I have over this? What do I have control over? What can I just let go and trust that it's going to be okay? And just to um, to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping my my perspective in check that I'm not allowing the, the imagination to run away. Um, I'm sure you've done this where you've been laying in bed at one o'clock in the morning and something is just going round and round and round and round. And if it's about, you know, some, something to do with some other person, they're probably just sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they're on the pillow beside you, you can do something about that one. But give them a good elbow. Wake <laughs> <laughs> up, I want to talk to you. <laughs> no. Well, I, I think that's true. And, 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 you know, you've said also like the, the, when we're unhappy, the unhappiness is about the moment. And then that's when the anxiety comes in, right? And says, okay, what am I unhappy about? But, but really, I think it's the mind telling us that there's a message in the moment. So we've learned to see maybe a feeling as unhappy. Okay, now I'm worried, so I'm unhappy. But really, it's just saying, maybe I need to adjust a moment here. Maybe I can give myself permission to do as you say, just to let something go, to walk away. This is retraining our minds to begin to unplug the mind and say, okay, uh, enough already. So any tips on unplugging that feedback loop? Like it's hard to do positive affirmations when your mind is telling you that you're not lovable. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we all have those, those self messages that we get that yeah. come from, an, you know, something, you know, 25 years ago, I would teach a, a workshop at a, at a conference and I'd have 150 people in the room and the feedback sheets would come in and 99.9% of them would be just awesome. But there was that one. And that I allowed my focus to be on that. And now I just like, that's okay. That person didn't particularly enjoy it. I don't know why. Maybe they're having a bad day, but I had a good day. I'm good. If I can put my head on the pillow and say, I did the best I could with the tools I had today. Ah. Let enough, good enough be good enough. Because if you're a perfectionist, oh my goodness, worry, anxiety, right? So practice letting go of perfection and saying, it's okay. I, I don't have, it's, it's good enough. I said to my assistant, Amber Lee, I don't want to read comments on social media. And she's like, okay, so I don't read comments on social media. And my partner says to me, why aren't you reading comments on social media? I'm like, Dave, stop saying things are important. <laughs> He's like, no, I want to know why. why. Why are you not reading your comments? And he, and he said, because there's no bad comments, but I just want to know what, why you made that up. And I said, well, I don't want to know if somebody doesn't like something mm -hmm. because I put so much work into this little baby, right? Yeah. I'm just, I, and so I think I don't want it because a comment makes me feel anxiety. It makes me feel that, that part of my shadow that says, you're not worthy. 
you're not, you're not lovable. You um, need to be afraid of your success. Success Mm -hmm. is scary. And so criticism equals failure. It's all of these weird things. And, you know, I, I looked at him and I said, you know, we've been together for 24 years. I hear what you're saying. I'm listening to you. The very next day, now all I do is comment and respond and listen. And someone came to one of the weakest spots of my of myself because I, I did live a life of, um, I have a learning um, disability and I just, it's a very difficult thing for me to write and to do different things. And, and I got this email through my website saying that the word don't on my website was spelled wrong. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, but there are people who, who cannot see past the word don't. And, yeah. and it creates, I just said, okay, I'm letting that go. This is not something, is it, is it something I can control? I can control that. We went through the site. We took a look. It's like, it's like reframing it from, Lori, you're a failure. You're not measuring up. Mm-hmm. Look at this. Your, your learning disability has come to the front and center. <laughs> <laughs> because of a don't. <laughs> because of a don't. And it, it has not. I still write. I write with authenticity and poor grammar. And I know that I do that. I can't worry about it. It can't stop my forward movement and my success. I've experienced such anxiety about that in my life because it was constantly reinforced in school. It was reinforced in high school. It's now reinforced now. But now, like you say, I've just deciding and and that self-talk, I'm giving myself permission to expand and grow from this perceived weakness that I have. Yeah, well, you know, the, like the, the person that goes on your website and finds a spelling error. I mean, is that about you? No, it's about them. They're nitpicking. So to, to leave the responsibility where it lies. I, I, I'm quite visual in, in, in the work that I do. And I, so I think about things in, in pictures. So I, I play emotional poker with people. Oh. So if somebody puts down a guilt card, it's like if we're playing Go Fish or something. Okay. Um, I can control whether or not I pick that up. And I don't pick it up unless I really know it's mine. Because mm-hmm. it's really easy to go, oh, sorry about that. Let me take care of that for you. Let me feel that guilt for you. Whereas I, I'm going to go, okay, so what makes you think that I have responsibility over that for you? And I, I, I get curious with them to find out, you know, where's that coming from? And if it is mine, I'll take ownership of it. But if it isn't, I'll say, well, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate for you. How can I, what can I do to help you? And then shift their focus away from what they, what they feel out of control about to what they can control. And just that empowerment of, of you know, giving people choice and letting them know you have a choice here. You don't have to go down the rabbit hole. You can choose to do something different about it. But it has to be, again, self-awareness, self-management, self-talk, and standing up for what's important to you rather than just kind of sitting down and taking it because I don't deserve to be happy or I don't deserve to be liked or whatever messages. And it's a constant rebuttal of that, that voice inside your head. You know, how, how, do I, how do I quiet that mind? And how do I reinsert different things? I'm dating myself here, but you know, if you think about a CD that just runs nonstop inside your brain, you got to take it out and put a better one in. 
right? And that's where sometimes therapy is really helpful. Um, if there are chemical imbalances in some, in some families, it, it is a chemical imbalance. So, you know, checking with your family doctor, seeing whether or not, you know, you need a serotonin uptake um, re-inhibitor. Um, I don't think I said that right, but anyway, uh, like some, some, some sort of medication that helps to stabilize your, your chemical balance. Um, there's a lot of stigma around that kind of stuff sometimes, but, you know, there's a lot of people that, it's like having diabetes. Would you not take insulin if you had diabetes? Like it's sometimes we just need some chemical assistance and I'm not suggesting everybody run out and get a prescription, but you know, check out the options. If you're finding that you're not functioning, that's your, your body's telling you that, Hey, this is not working. We need something else. So maybe cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, that's more so for an adult, for kids. We do things like uh, play therapy or art therapy or music therapy, just to help them to learn how to express themselves so that um, they learn how to not bottle things up. Because a lot of times worriers bottle things up. And they try to control the situation or they try to know everything so that they don't show that they are not knowing what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Control, control, control. When I feel very out of control. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's possible to manage anxiety. Um, it takes some work. It takes some knowing yourself. And at the same time, it can be a really helpful tool just to, to do that, that informing to say something's not right here. We need to stop and address it so that we're keeping ourselves safe emotionally Physio- physiologically, um, you know, in terms of our psyche as well. So it can be, we can use it to our advantage. Brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for this lovely, lovely conversation. Um, I've been waiting for this one. It's, it's been exciting for me. And, and uh, because I know there are so many people um, that, they are they're learning about anxiety and they're paralyzed by the anxiety that they feel. I think what you've done is started the conversation and opened um, the window of perspectives so that maybe there's a little more that we can just sort of tip out and look at and see um, from from what you've offered to us. So thank you so much for for being who you are and um, offering your some of your life story um, into the into this this conversation today um, I appreciate it very much and I know the listeners will too I very much appreciate you having me on it's been just great having a chat with you about this very important subject <laughs> and we'll talk soon okay thanks <laughs>